Drake Digital with Drake West and Sid in the morning. Hear all the shows at drakehallmemphis.com. Uh, I fa- I've read so much about the Beatles over my life and investigated and listened, and um, as have many of us, because I guess anybody of a certain age uh, whose life was changed by that band um, finds them interesting to this day. They just somehow maintain kind of a magic uh, in their uh, in their music and their remarkable talent and the depth with which they made music um, and how they were so... Um, it was just so easy for them to evolve from one album to the next. Every album was different. Uh, and, they, and they began very simply with songs like, you know, Love Me Do and Can't Buy Me Love and uh, all the basics. And then they, you know, suddenly this band made records for what? Maybe eight years. Yeah, and, that's about uh, right. And didn't make that many of them. Um, and evolved so quickly uh, that it is still kind of a mind-blowing thing that they uh, accomplished. Uh, I'm reading a a, a book now, um, the autobio of the great Ricky Lee Jones. I I think she is just uh, fantastic. And um, she has had had, uh, had, several hits and... uh, her life story is is very interesting, and she writes extremely well. So, so if you like her stuff, uh, the, this book is called Last Chance Texaco, one of her fine songs. And she points out, and it's always been, I guess, kind of obvious if you look at it, uh, if you were a kid back in those days, in November of 1963, um, John Kennedy was killed, uh, which changed everything. It, it just changed the the uh, emotional culture uh, of this country and the world in general. It kind of dashed the hopes of young people and older people that saw many things uh, that were coming down the road to be positive. And it really, uh, that, that was a long, dark, horrible winter. I recall that uh, being very small, but it was a palpable thing that um, his, his death that was so public um, changed the world and, and not for anything good. But then in one, two, about four months later, this, this, uh, this um, um, injection of joy and happiness based upon music and these, you know, four guys kind of brought things back to being a little bit, let's say, cheerier and happier and more hopeful. And any book you read by anybody who is now a major star, uh, they always reference this band. And there are some people, I presume, that uh, think it's hype or something, and those people have never listened to their music and don't have any idea of what they speak about the talents of these guys and their colleagues like... uh, George Martin, who produced them, and the things that they accomplished in a really short, short time period. The Stones have been doing this for 50-plus years, as has led, well, not a Led Zeppelin, but the Stones have been active. Um, The Who has kind of been active. There are bands that have, but this band did their thing and walked away. 
And, you know, circumstance um, wiped out any chance of any kind of, uh, you know, seeing them together again when they killed John and then George died. And uh, so anyway, these facts, um, some of them I had not not really ever, uh, ever heard of in my um, just over the years reading of this band. The Beatles on film. They were the first band to produce music um, you know, videos of their songs. They were tired of, of being on endless bad TV shows. They began to record their songs as a film package, which was given to TV networks. And I guess you can see those, I would guess mainly on European shows. I can't recall many yeah. occasions on which they were on American TV. Um, the band was the very first one to experiment with tape reversal techniques, both with, with their their uh, voices and their instruments. Um, on tracks like uh, Strawberry Fields and Rain uh, and things like that. And they're also credited with the first use of any kind of guitar feedback on I Feel Fine. And if you hear the opening of that song, you hear the feedback, and it was an accident, but they kept it on the record. And so feedback became um, a thing. Um, the group uh, considered more than five names before adopting their name, The Beatles. The idea came from um, Stu Sutcliffe, who was the band's first bass player. His idea was the B-E-E-T-L-E-S in honor of Buddy Holly's band, The Crickets. The name was okay. later changed hmm. to the A beat, as in a beat in a song, and then to Beatles. Um, then we go on to this one. Cartoon characters. You Probably many <laughs> of you have never, ever seen this. I can barely remember these, but between 1965 and for four years on, they appeared on television uh, every Saturday morning in a cartoon form. The show chronicled the adventures of their of their uh, time in Liverpool, and it was pretty bad, I think. Yeah, I saw a um, documentary with some people who produced that, and they uh, they did that. It was very simple. The Beatles obviously didn't voice it, and they yeah. uh, heard a review where Ringo saw it and goes, "Oh no, they made me the dumb one." And he goes, <laughs> "Yeah, we did make him the dumb one. Yeah. Sorry." This, I never really, I've never known this, and I don't think it is a much-talked-about event. Um, February of 1964, the date escapes me. The 19th, maybe, was when they changed the world uh, on a Sunday evening on the Ed Sullivan Show. After he had had uh, the guest, the puppet Topo Gigio. And then the Beatles were on, and everything changed. That was not their first American TV appearance. Anybody know what was? Because I oh. had no idea. Huh. I thought it was, yeah. They were on Jack Parr on January 3rd, 1964. Wow. Huh. Okay. I, I have never huh. heard that in my life. But here's a picture of it. It's a still shot, and uh, it didn't have much impact. Now, now that was late-night TV in a time when late-night TV was not watched that much. Back in that era, folks were in bed by 
So <laughs> um, there was no late night TV. To, and I guess Jack Parr was on, well, he was not the very first one. Uh, Steve Allen and Ernie Kovacs both did late night TV shows. But Jack Parr was the guy that um, made a big impact and then he was followed by uh, Johnny Carson. Um, the album, uh, the, the uh, Peppers album, was the first record to feature lyrics on the sleeve. It also came with a booklet and cutout figurines. That part I do remember. Uh, the Lonely Hearts Club Band. That was that is that is and was one of the most incredible albums ever made and always will be. It's been studied, researched, and um, there's a one of these things here is about how much time they spent on that record. Uh, to date, nearly 2 billion CDs, records, and tapes of this band have been sold. Wow. Uh, when the band declined uh, a dinner invite from Imelda Marcos, the uh, Philippines' mm-hmm. first lady, they were mobbed by angry fans as they left for the airport. They told her no, and people were pissed. Uh, Apple Records was founded by the Beatles in 1968, which I thought that happened a lot later on, but no, it was in that year. Uh, The Apple Computer Company uh, came a decade later, and the two became embroiled in a legal dispute, I don't remember this at all, over the trademark of the name. The eventual, uh, the end to this was confidential, but it is uh, thought that Apple Computers bought the rights for $500 million. Wow. Huh. So even in 78, the Apple boys had lots of money to play with. The Beatles are often uh, talked about as playing at a place called the uh, Cavern Club. That's yeah. the landmark little bar where they played and got their start. And it was implied over time that that happened just every now and then. No. Uh, between 60 and for the last or the the uh, next uh, three years, they played at that Cavern Club 294 times. Whoa. Wow. I never knew that. Um, uh, Paul and John, of course, were the band's main songwriters, and they uh, decided to always use the credit of both of them. Um, not just one, but it was always, you know, Paul and John or Lennon and McCartney on all tracks, even if, if it was a solo creation. And that is a true partnership. Uh, born in 1940, Ringo is the oldest Beatle. Uh, George, born in uh, 43, was the oldest. So Ringo is 81, or will be this year. Unbelievable. Uh, let me get through some more of these, and we'll get out of here. Uh, yesterday has been covered by more artists than any other track in popular music history. Oh, wow. I believe it. Uh, close behind that is Something, uh, hmm. the tune by uh, George Harrison. Everybody from Sinatra, I mean, you know, they've all recorded this song. Um, early in their careers, when they were known as the, uh, you know, just the, the uh, Silver Beatles, John's name was Johnny Silver, Paul went by Paul Ramon, and George called himself <laughs> Carl Harrison. I've never heard that before. Carl Harrison. Um, this is also a real trip. In, in uh, uh, 
the night that they were on Ed Sullivan in February of 1964, there were no recorded incidents of homicide or assault anywhere in the country. Oh, wow. All eyes were on the TV screen. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Um, Now, 30 years after they split, the the, um, album called One which was a, just just some you know hits uh, in uh, in uh, 2000 became the band's best selling album with 27 of their best oh. hits on it the band still holds the all-time record for the highest highest number of albums in the US charts with 19 more than Elvis and or the Rolling Stones um anyway what are the most the other uh, for Sgt Pepper's which I've talked about um, there is there are so many things that have been written about that album's making because of the extraordinary um, effort it took to do this with a four-track tape machine. And there are books out there. There's one out there that is, in particular, an incredible thing if you can find it. And uh, George Martin, who produced the album, wrote this book. And you can, can probably go on search onto eBay or to ABE Books and find this. And um, it goes into great detail about how they did stuff. And you can hear it on these songs. If you have this book and the CD at the same time, or the songs, you, you can, can kind of hear things that you never knew were there. It's remarkable. They spent uh, 30 days on this album, 700 hours in total. On the White Album, they'd spent even more time than that because they were having some real, real trouble. So uh, anyway, that is a few things. Um, and uh, I guess there are just more and more. Yeah, the, uh, the this is the one during the White Album, Ringo walked out because they were really not getting along. Uh, Paul was in uh, fine form, wanting take after take after take on songs, I guess, Oblad D is one that they did about 90 takes on. 90. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, just some fun things to share there. Back in a moment, this is Drake Digital. You don't hear a story like this every day, if ever. There's shark stories and all of that kind of stuff all the time. This one, however, is a entirely different, different tale and quite a tale. The Cape Cod Times, that's a newspaper. Uh, call this guy's uh, well his uh, his little little story here a truly biblical event. Hmm. Uh, this guy is 55 years old. He is just a lucky lucky man. He's a lobster diver who's been doing this for 40 years. He tells CBS Boston he was about 45 feet down in the waters off of Herring Cove Beach on Friday morning when quoting all of a sudden I just felt this huge bump. Things then went completely blank, and he thought he'd been hit by a shark. Then he felt around and realized there were no teeth anywhere. Then he realized, oh my God, I'm in a whale's mouth, and he's trying to swallow me. He said he could feel the whale's mouth, muscles, trying to squeeze him in and down into his stomach. At that point, he kind of gave up hope. 
He thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. Thoughts of his wife and kids come, you know, pouring into his head as he just thinks he's done. Well, the whale apparently did not like how this guy uh, felt in his mouth. Because the guy's carrying all this gear on his back and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this whale decides that uh, this guy is not appetizing and begins to shake its head in displeasure, throwing his head side to side. Next thing this, this, this guy knows is he's I'm outside in the water. He <laughs> was in the, he was in the whale's mouth for about thirty seconds, uh, and somebody watched this from a, a boat nearby, and picked him up, rushed to shore, and uh, where he, where he thought he'd been told his legs were broken, that was not the case. He has some bruises and some soft tissue damage. Otherwise, he is fine. And he'll be back to work when he's healed up and over and, you know, past all the trauma of being almost eaten by a whale. That's oh amazing. Jesus. Um, a scientist that, that, that works with, with, you know, fish and stuff uh, says that what happened to this guy was a very unusual accident, uh, saying the humpback whales eat by gulp feeding. They open their their mouths wide to take in their sustenance. I couldn't believe this man got out of that. Uh, and he says, I made it. <laughs> Can you just imagine <laughs> I was, those 30 seconds of your life? Yeah, oh, man. The, what a rush. <laughs> a I was just rush. reading what humpback whales usually eat, and it's it's squid, krill, herring, pollock, mackerel, things like that, so I can see why uh, this guy is lucky that he just didn't get swallowed at once. But I guess he was so big mm-hmm. that yeah. it was like this humpback whale is trying to suddenly swallow a pill, like a horse pill of some kind, yeah. and just decided, nope. It. I mean, this is weird, but if you knew you were going to survive that, it might be kind of cool to, <laughs> to experience. <laughs> but well, now that I can live through it, I'd like to do it again. Yeah. He was trying to find his phone to get a picture, of course, but he just couldn't <laughs> right. quite. <you> know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Where's my phone when I need it? Uh, um, but but uh, no, no such luck. <laughs> Golly. Um, this is really hard to picture, too, but uh, interesting. As scientists, all, they, they, they just keep you know finding these things over and over again. These ancient discoveries are, are things from a you know, long time ago. A dinosaur that was found in the outback. Uh, this is the Australotian. Australotitan. It's some kind of long name. The biggest one ever found in Australia as far as dinosaurs. Picture a basketball court. If this thing were to stand up and be you know, on his, his uh, four feet, he would cover the entire basketball court. God, man. This is a fantastic beast, says uh, one of the guys that I guess found the remains of the, uh, the, the, that were, uh, you know, pretty pretty intact. A uh, hundred feet long, twenty one feet tall at the hip, twice the size of a T Rex. Uh, the bones were first found in two thousand four, after a uh, young kid spotted what he thought was an unusual rock on his family's farm. So they began some, you know, scanning of uh, the area with technology, and uh, they decided to dig this thing up and see exactly what it was. This is among the biggest five uh, 
dinosaurs ever found and the first in Australia to become one of the elite group of dinosaur giants. Isn't that unbelievable? That's crazy. The size of a basketball court. He's been laying there and the bones were intact and they put them together and went, woo, this guy would fit on a basketball court. That's, that is, that's pretty darn impressive. So, um, from whales to dinos, there's your there's your story, uh, and other animal news. Um, Wes has a monkey. This is tail. This is interesting and in its own right. After teaching monkeys the concept of money, they the scientists got some unexpectedly be human behaviors starting to, to show up. This started a couple of years ago, and uh, a duo from Yale and from uh, well, two from Yale actually, an economist and a psychologist started. Uh, teaching seven uh, capuchin monkeys how to use money. Hmm. And they first had to train it what these little coins were that they were giving them. And they say they played on their inherent greed because they say the uh, this monkey has a small brain that's pretty much focused on food and sex, which is a thing that we can take advantage <laughs> of in research. They wanted to study the incentives that motivated the species to behave in some way and uh, analyze the, their behavior. But other than that, they didn't have any other goal except to basically give a monkey a dollar and see what happens. <laughs> and once they under once these monkeys understood that these little tokens could be exchanged for fruit, they had grapes or apples or jello, they or cigarettes. Well, they didn't do cigarettes in this case, but maybe the next study will. Because that could really go into some new territory. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they they figured out when they, they gave the monkeys twelve tokens, they could they could budget the money, but they always spent the whole wad at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they could figure out that if they if they lowered the price of Jello, the monkeys would buy fewer grapes to get more Jello because that's more stuff. So that's unbelievable. They, they that's followed so like economic laws and gave some thought into it. Somehow, and I'd love to more de- more details on this, but the story doesn't have them. The scientists taught these monkeys how to gamble and say they saw the same <laughs> irrational decisions that human gamblers make, <laughs> and this would make them statistically indistinguishable from most stock market investors. Wow! And uh, some of the monkeys started stealing too when they could uh, get their hands on some extra tokens from other other monkeys. They would do that. But here's the big thing. Uh, grasping the notion of currency means that you understand that you can exchange money for goods and services, this says. Right. One of the researchers uh, observed how one of the monkeys exchanged money with another for sex. Nice. Was it a girl After monkey? that was over, the monkey was uh, got paid immediately and used that pay uh, you know, coin to buy a grape. So monkey prostitutes, no <laughs> sign of pimps yet, but I guess this is on the way. Monkeys Just, and money. Wow. Just like us. <laughs> yep. How, how their minds evolve. So they so they understand that this little that this stuff will get you something back in return for you giving this money. So from grapes right. to whores. Right. So you you, you the, the one of one of them instead of wanting food wanted sex. One monkey was willing to oblige, and so they had sex. The coin was exchanged, and the Prostitute monkey used that coin to buy some food. Well, that uh, that's um, that kind of is how the the uh, food chain, if you will, uh, does work. He uh, well, paid her for what he wanted, and she went and got something to eat, and then went to sleep. Um, the free hand of the market and agency over your own body. There you go. I wonder what it cost. Uh, just one token. 
one token. One token. Is yeah. it like the Bitcoin, or are they just giving them like a, you know quarters and stuff? They're they're giving them actual actual coins. They're they're like thin metal coins with a hole in the middle. Well, then they need to determine you know what to charge for different things. Uh, that's the next step. Well, that's uh, what they did. To... They they did that in the uh, with the uh, grapes, apples, and jellos. They they would vary the price sometimes. But when it comes to whores, though, you know, oh. you, you got There's, you know, <laughs> I see where you're going now. High class whores, low class whores, or uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. Brooks Road. You got to figure out what's worth what, I guess. But they'll. Uh, that's sounds like that's sounds like they'll get there. Uh, yeah, uh, man, monkeys. Yeah, I like the one with the tutu, please. <laughs> well, if they're given a choice, I I don't know, but that's a pretty interesting story. This is Drake Digital. Uh, so so Sid had some list of uh, some stuff that is you should never buy these big ticket items. What would these be? Uh, right. Like a boat or what? You're you're thinking along the the right uh, you're thinking in the right direction. Spending money on expensive things you don't need no. is a surefire way to deplete your bank account. This says, and so they have seven things that you could you can and should live without. Number one, timeshares. Yeah, yeah, I've always heard mm -hmm. that. Don't ever do it. Yeah, it's, I don't know says, why, but yeah, it says unless you know exactly what you're getting into, you should avoid the complications of buying a timeshare or vacation home. Um, Conflict galore, sounds like to yeah, me. Yeah, and uh, the the arrangements entitle owners to points they can redeem for stays at various properties, but generally still require owners to pay ongoing property maintenance fees that can cost hundreds or thousands of dollars annually. Um, number two. I don't like, want to be somewhere that somebody else ha has had their you know, nasty family in some place and then go in there myself. No, thank you. <laughs> like a hotel? Like, yeah. like a hotel or a Well, condo. no, but... <laughs> and they get cleaned and they're littler, so there's less yeah, chance true. to screw something well, up. So it's it is a little bit different, for, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, number two, recreational vehicles. Uh, the idea of taking a vacation uh, in a home on wheels might sound exciting, but what are you going to do when the trip is over? How often are you going to use it? Mm. Some communities have laws against parking an RV on streets mm -hmm. or in driveways, mm -hmm. and you know, so if you put it at a storage place, then you got you're paying the storage place and all that stuff and upkeep. So. Um, I've always had this this kind of this you know vision uh, of getting one of those airstream jetstream and and just going across mm -hmm. the country, yeah, uh, with a wife and maybe all the dogs. And then I realize <laughs> you're you're insane. Uh, there there's no way on earth to ever pull that off without somebody dying or being injured uh, <laughs> badly. It, it would end up being just you or just the wife within about three days. Yeah, somebody would Possibly. ask to find the nearest bus station. The dog's likely. It's getting me home. This blows. <laughs> I now, went out. That's funny. I will say I had an aunt and uncle who had one, and it was one of those big silver ones that looks like a big, yeah. you know, rounded bus. Airstream, jetstream. They stream, went around. They they traveled a lot and had and had fun. But yeah, I mean, when you're when you're done, you just you got to sell it. Which I guess is just like any car. Or whatever. Well, they aren't cheap, but no. um, that does sound like a kind of cool thing to do. But yeah. Then you got to worry about you know parking the thing, and they're they're so big, and mm -hmm. you got to open the sides of it, and you got to hook up the bathroom part, and uh, it sounds like too much too much trouble to me. <laughs> unless but, you, unless uh, you get just, a butler <laughs> to do it. Yeah, all have, you. yes, you need somebody with you to do all the work, just part of your <laughs> personal staff. Butler. Nice. Right. Yeah. Oh, 
Number three, big ticket item you shouldn't buy, new brand new cars. Of course, they start losing value the moment you drive them off the lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it says typically they depreciate 20% during the first 12 months of ownership. So Now, I have always heard, uh, and it's been confirmed, I don't know if it's the truth or not, but the um, one trucker car that does not immediately begin to lose its value is the Ford F-150. That's why I've got the old one and the one that was is about five years old now. But they somehow they just maintain their their uh, worth and their value because they're so well made and mm-hmm. they last forever. So that may be true. It may not be true. I don't know. What else? The next one: designer clothing. Don't pay for the name. Just get yeah. something good, and because that's going to be it's going to be dated <clears throat> and it's going to be in your closet later. The only because it's trendy. The, well, the only thing that I think is uh, is is uh, wrong about that is that when you buy something, if you, you know, I don't dress up uh, hardly ever, and um, and I buy, you know, T-shirts that are probably too costly, but they last forever. I was going to say they'll last, and, yeah. And that's the only reason that I have ever bought anything um, with something on the front of it, because it's a, but uh, they are overpriced, but they do last a lot longer. So that's the upside to that one. But to spend, you know, thousands on on stuff. But, you know, all men should have one, you know, nice suit uh, oh, yeah. that you can have mm-hmm. and um, some nice dress shirts just in case. But for, you know, many of us that don't have to go to an office, thank Jesus. Um, <laughs> and even though when we did, uh, you, you know, shorts and uh, T-shirts is pretty much the way to go. It's just comfortable, and I don't want to be encumbered by clothing. It's just too much trouble. And this probably is also more directed toward women, and just like if some, yeah. you know, if you want that funky purse that's popular this year or whatever. Kate Spade, baby, or just whatever. Now Kate Spade is cool, but anyway, I, I don't have any. But so yeah, um, number five, the latest technology. You don't need a brand new iPhone. No, a new Apple phone every year. Yes, you do. You need to get everything that Apple makes because you've <laughs> got to be cool and you're a loser if you don't have the watch, the phone, the iPad, the whatever. The mm-hmm. They have goaded you, you suckers. It, Sorry. Yeah, it says you should ask yourself if you think that smartphone, tablet, or laptop is obsolete simply because there's a new model available. Well, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's junk. It only costs you eight hundred bucks. It's worthless now. Yeah. Throw it away. Yeah. Go to a pawn shop. Get twenty bucks for it. <laughs> Number six: toys for grown-ups. Snowmobiles, jet skis, all-terrain vehicles can be fun, but they require big cash outlays and uh, still and again periodic servicing by a mechanic and all that. So mm-hmm. they are fun. A lawnmower is a big enough uh, a pain in the ass. But it's, they are it's cheap. a lawnmower they you do need. Come in handy. It's not like a toy. Well. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never understood that line of thing. But there are those that you know love those things and 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 they have them and they sure go, they go out and go you know four wheeling and mud and whatnot. That, that's oh, yeah. great. Uh, and the number what seven else? watches that cost a bundle. You can I've never understood this as long either. as I live. And my brother has a Rolex, which he could not be. Uh, it's a watch, and I, I've never understood that that theory. There are clocks everywhere. I have not worn a watch in a long, long time. How many are there in this room right here? There's one on TV, one on this computer. There's one on my phone. Um, 
In the kitchen, there's about eight of them. Um, what? Yeah. I don't know. It says Fashion what? items and looking like you're rich. Mm. It's a watch. <laughs> For well under 50 bucks, you can get a watch that keeps time perfectly well, says Same this person like. on MSN yep. Money. So, yeah. I didn't. I used to have a watch fetish, but I would not spend a lot. I just would. I mean, I'd go to. I don't know. I don't know where I would get watches, but I liked them, and and I wore them all the time. But we, I didn't yeah. for years and years and years. And then he got me watches. this Fitbit thing. It's not a fit, it's not a Fitbit brand, but it, you know. Um, and it, but I really don't use it a ton for to know what time it is. I just get the steps. Well, and, you know, blood pressure and all that stuff. One of the best uh, best stories that I ever saw, uh, Peter O'Toole, uh, my all-time favorite. Um, he was on the late night show with um, with old Dave uh, back in the days. And O'Toole was a very eccentric, um, interesting man. And at the end of the interview, uh, Dave said, can I ask you one question? And he said, sure. And he said, um, can I ask you why you have two watches on one on the left, one on the right. And O'Toole said, I don't wish time. No, he says, I don't wish to waste time looking at the wrong wrist. <laughs> oh, my well, God, okay. that's great. <laughs> that's that. great. He's so weird. And so he was such a such a strange man and, and such a incredibly interesting character. Uh, Wesley, what else did you have over yonder? Uh, this Navy SEAL thing sounds interesting. It is. It's titled, These Navy SEAL Tricks Will Help You Perform Better Under Pressure. And really, it's all about the breathing, is what this is. There's this woman named uh, Lynn Everett who wrote this book, The Five-Minute Recharge. It has a longer title that I'm not going to get into. And she says, we are a nation of shallow breathers. Deep breathing comes naturally to children, but we lose the ability when we're in a constant state of uh, fight or flight, low-level stress that most modern life pushes us into just about all the time. It's an anxious breath, and that's why we feel the way we do and uh, don't perform well under stress. And she says the Navy SEALs use two breathing techniques that force the body into a more relaxed state when they're in a high-pressure situation. And she said anyone can use these. The first is called tactical breathing. And it says, just place your right hand on your belly, pushing out with a big exhale, then breathe in through your nostrils, slowly draw the breath in upward from your belly to your upper chest, pause, exhale, starting from your chest, moving downward to the air in your belly, then imagine your your belly button trying to touch your spine. So that's your full deep breath. Repeat it, making the exhale twice as long as the length of the inhale. Uh, and then repeat that like three times, and it will help calm you down if you're having some sort of fight-or-flight response about something. Mm. So that's technique one. The other is called box breathing, and it says it's meant to ground you, sharpen your concentration, and leave you feeling alert but calm. And you basically, you inhale and then exhale and hold each time for the same duration. So like you breathe in for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, Hold that for a count of four and repeat that. And it says you should feel fluid and open. Don't clamp down. Just breathe smoothly. Do this for about five minutes. And that way you will be alert, but you will also be calm and you'll be able to think better. In moments of, you know, panic, though, it's not, you don't um, go right to that thought. Okay, breathe, hold it, breathe. But but But, that is also... um, it, that that whole whole a concept helps you 
to fall asleep as well. Yes, when they, exactly. When there are times yeah. when you can't sleep, and I don't sleep very well, but I breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth, very slowly, and then suddenly you find that you're out. Um, but to calm you down, the breathing factor has always been, um, you know, leaned on as you know good advice yes. for you know panicky moments and for when you're scared or or when you're you know nervous or just anything. Just just breathe and it somehow kind of quiets your entire entire it, being. It does, and there's going to be times, of course, like you said, when you're in the middle of something and you can't you know focus on your breathing because you really do have to fight or you really do have to fly or something. But if you're feeling just really stressed out because you've got a lot of reports due and your boss is being a jerk and you know someone's always bugging you on the phone, taking five minutes to breathe like this will calm you way down to be able to deal with everything. Yes, very, very, uh, very good points. This is Drake Digital. This is a uh, list of things that this grocery store does not want you to do. And I don't know why they chose this store to run down this list of things that are appropriate for any time you're in any store, anywhere, doing anything. Uh, but they chose Aldi for some reason uh, for uh, the genesis of this this story. Uh, now, Wes has shopped there for a while, yeah. and a number of people do because of their prices and their approach to this, and um, they're probably really popular right now. But they have issued this list of things that uh, if they catch you doing, they're going to you know, pull you out back and put you and your family in the dumpster. Um, well, they are a it, company really of German origin. And I didn't um, know that until today. Is so? Is that part of of their attitude toward this? <laughs> no. In fact, <laughs> I, I think I saw the same list that you're talking about. I don't even know that Aldi is the people that put it together. I, it, it sounds like something that someone just chose Aldi as an example. But uh, well, we'll see. It says uh, there are ten things you should never do in an Aldi, according mm -hmm. to an employee or two. Oh, okay. So they spoke to those who are, um, you know, in the horse's mouth or from the horse's mouth. <laughs> Uh, and the, these employees told uh, the insider the main things customers should not do while shopping. Uh, don't ever abandon your cart or put items where they don't belong. That creates more work for the staff. That's a given in any yeah. store, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, do not enter the store at uh, closing time. But if you do, use the self-checkout machine. Uh, Aldi is a German chain known for its low-priced groceries and frequent sales on home essentials. You should also uh, be aware of a few things that can make life easier for you and the staff. Again, these are things that should apply to any store, anywhere, and any bunch of people. Uh, these things include, uh, there's, no, there's no point in asking an employee to check in the back to see if they have any more. Uh, they get pissed off when you do that. If it isn't on the shelves, we don't have it. The end. Next. Move along. Uh, avoid shopping too close to the end of store hours. They don't dig it when you, you, know, when you walk in there at like, you know, five till nine. Get right. out. I hate that. Um, I wonder, well, I guess, but if you're in a in a rush, well, it's it is annoying, I guess, you know, still... Uh, to them to have to somebody them. just come, you know, strolling in. Um, let's see. 
it makes them have to stay longer when you come in late. Don't forget to look for posted sales guidelines. Aldi is known for its deals. What kind of deals, Wes? Uh, I'll give you the eggs example. Sometimes you'll find egg, a dozen eggs in there for like 78 cents. Really? But they'll have a sign posted that says limit three per customer. Or three dozen, not three eggs. And that's a, a consistent thing with them, right? You know, but you know, if sometimes though, when the prices is, are higher on the on eggs and they're you know around what most stores at that time are having, there's not a limit. Yeah. But if they got a if they've got a really good deal, they know people are going to stock up, so they make mm-hmm. the, the the limits and they post. And this does point that out here that they ask you to limit those things. Um, so if they uh, if you just ignore their request, they tell you to leave what you you know, grabbed, right? Just, you know, take your, your limit and leave. You can't take more than you have been, you know, told to take. Uh, don't try to get around sales restrictions by splitting up your purchases. That is really, really (laughs) an annoying thing anywhere you are. Separate checks, please. Why? Um, he says that we, we know that a, you know, kid that is uh, three years old, didn't come in on their own to buy three <laughs> you know, eggs um, uh, with with some kind of a, 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 a giant bill. So they know that you're trying to be <laughs> sneaky and, and they don't dig it. Um, do not abandon your cart in the store if you need to rush out. What does that mean? Um, if you leave your cart to grab something else from the aisle next over uh, uh, to it, it makes them mad. I wonder why that makes well, I do them that annoyed. All the time. If you're gone <laughs> your for... cart's in the way. Well, but there's there's always somebody in the way in every store or some display item or something. Uh, abandoned carts obstruct the flow of traffic. Well, you're just being rude in general. Again, this this will apply to every grocery store uh, in the world. Yeah. Putting items back on the wrong shelves creates uh-huh. more work for the staff. God, they are so demanding. <laughs> Jesus. What do they I, expect? Really, Can't, we're just dumb dumb Americans. What do you want? Uh, what um, if I don't want my chicken? Can I not put it back on the diaper aisle? Come on. Just just toss it, you know, wherever that that is that's that, that is nearby. Don't expect employees to clean up after your kids. Well, why not? They're my sweet babies. So you should pick up all the crap that they dropped to the floor <laughs> or or you know, if they bar for something, that's that isn't their problem. Um and it kind of goes on to mention some more just, you know, common sense things about courtesy. Don't linger in the public restroom for too long. Uh, that's a new one on me. Uh, they don't want an entire family to monopolize the space for a long time. As if they've all gone in there to shoot up, uh, you know, at the Aldi. <laughs> Together. Uh, I, I, what? Uh, be respectful with how you use the bathrooms. It annoys us. When you have to ask someone to leave the restroom because they've been in there for two hours. Two what? hours? What Doing heck? what? <laughs> they are shooting up and then playing Monopoly. I, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that one at all. Um, uh, the Aldi employees should not have to break up a heated argument between shoppers. No, they're not police, but I don't think that we have... That many instances of people fighting in grocery stores. I mean, have y'all ever seen um, that? I haven't. I no, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, don't mess around with Aldi because they will make you disappear. 
uh, and it seems like <laughs> that, that 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 they are they 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 just run kind of a tight ship, and good for them because some yep. of these grocery stores do not, and they don't pay attention, yeah. uh, and stuff is a mess, and it's not clean, and it just uh, makes you nervous to even go in the darn store. But uh, but thank you, Aldi, for uh, sharing common sense things that adults should understand, but apparently don't. <clears throat> uh, I had a, a story here about 10 musicians who changed instruments. Now, <clears throat> par- uh, pardon me. There are some people, Paul McCartney is one of them, uh, that can play everything and did everything, I think, on his first album after the Beatles. But Paul can play anything and did uh, on his last album from last year and his first album. I think that on Ram, he had... Um, some other folks that joined him. But Paul played the drums on some Beatles songs. He played a guitar. He can play anything. Uh, and they're, those people that have that gift uh, are few and far between. Uh, but they just, uh, it's their life, and they want to learn and know everything. Uh, but this, these people, I have no idea who's on this list of who they just changed, I guess, in you know midlife, what they play. What's the list, Sid? Well, and we'll get to Paul McCartney, but you, yes, he's on the list. Um, Roger Daltrey, several years before The Who, he played lead guitar in a band called The Detours. And mm. uh, so somebody else was on vocals. They mm. always argued, though, and so the guy left the group. And so Daltrey, who was just assumed to be the unofficial leader of the band, just, you know, he started singing. Uh, Tom Petty is another one. Um, during, his early, uh, during his tenure with uh, early band Mud Crutch, Yep. He was known as the bass player, uh, but yeah. he also contributed the, vocals on most and that's you know, right. on most of the songwriting. But and piano, and yeah, yeah. So um, I'll be darned. Yeah, and uh, next one we all know him. We all love him. He's in he's in the news every day. Dave Grohl. Oh yeah. Of course, yeah. he played drums for Nirvana. And now he sings, and he can he can play everything. I think though. tuba, big <laughs> big on the tuba. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably big part of the food sound. Yeah, wouldn't put it past him. Um, Chris Cornell, um, Soundgarden formed as a trio in 84 when, uh, Hiro Yamamoto, uh, was on bass, Kim Thale and Chris Cornell serving as both singer and drummer. Hmm. I didn't, I don't know if I remembered that. Me either. So anyway, then of course he just became a singer. Uh, Steven Tyler. The first time Steven Tyler saw his future bandmates, Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton play in 69, it was when... The pair was part of a group called the Jam Band. Tyler was impressed. A year later, the three of them decided to form their own band. And Tyler, who previously had played drums in several school groups, uh, was firm about the new role he wanted, singer. So he got it. Um, Paul McCartney, as we just mentioned. um, It says, pulled the short stick when bassist uh, Stuart Stuart Sutcliffe left the Beatles in the early days of 1961. Um, so Paul was originally a guitarist in the band to have to switch over to bass. After the band's breakout in 63, his Hofner violin bass, a right-handed instrument picked up for oh, uh, yeah. cheap and famously flipped upside down so the left-handed McCartney could play it, became one he of the Beatles' most... He played it upside down. That was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, also, he's, you know, toggles between many different instruments, uh, as you said. Um, Joey Ramone, part of... Being in a band is determining which members are good at what things. The, the lead singer role in the Ramones shifted several times. First, Dee Dee 
first Dee Dee discovered. They did short me. songs. That was their yeah. only talent. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I love them. First Dee Dee discovered he couldn't play bass and sing at the same time. Then Joey, who was the band's drummer, found he couldn't keep rhythm and sing simultaneously either. To solve the problem, their manager, who was Tommy Ramone, uh, was brought in to take over on drums. And uh, so Joey repositioned to lead singer. Um, so it's it's really, it. I have always been, uh, just been in awe of these guys, like uh, Don Henley, who can uh, play drums and sing at the same time. Uh, I, that's I a gift. Uh, same for that. Phil Collins. Um, there must be some more, but man, that's got to be. You got to be really focused on two things at once. Uh, that's that's rough. Yes, Phil Collins is on the list, and this, he's the next to last person. Um, it says uh, Phil Collins' transition to Genesis frontman was an internal promotion. In 1970, he answered an ad placed by the band that sought a drummer sensitive to acoustic music. In quote, in quotes, he landed the job and also provided back, back, backing vocals until 75 when uh, Peter Gabriel left the group. So then he sang. Um, and then the last one, Bon Scott. Uh, he wasn't the singer in his first band, The Spectres, when he first started performing he should uh, have been. in and around Perth, Australia. He actually shared drummer and percussion duties with this guy named John Collins. In 66, <laughs> they merged with another band, The Winstons, and formed The Valentines, with whom Scott became a co-lead singer alongside this other guy. And then eight years later, um, he was he, – oh, I didn't know this. Eight years later, he was working as ACDC's chauffeur auditioned for the band, and became the singer. I didn't know he was working as their chauffeur. No, he was great. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. I read something uh, last week about um, Paul McCartney and uh, how many people uh, got one of those bass guitars or one like it and tried to play it like Paul did, not knowing that he was playing it upside down. <laughs> uh, so you had to retune the strings or, or turn it, you know, some way. And... Um, they could not figure out how. And uh, did Hendrix play upside down and backward? I was going to ask you, didn't he play upside down too? I think he did because he um, he wasn't lefty, but he but he played it upside down or something, and um, that's why he had a hard time, you know, tuning his own guitar because he played it so you know viciously. He just attacked it, and he broke strings all the time, and that's why he was you know playing at that club. In London in the 60s with McCartney and uh, Clapton in the audience, and he uh, he just tore his guitar to pieces, and he had to stop and, you know, put on some new strings, and he asked Clapton to come up on stage and tune the guitar for him. Oh, like, yeah. what? Um, <laughs> so he could play it, but he didn't know how to put on the strings or to tune it, which I find kind of odd, but um, interesting stories, man, as of all these all these great names gone by, some of which are still here and some that are not but uh yeah it's a, a a business full of fantastic stories like that you know um where, where are we huh i did look up Jimi hendrix it says uh once he started making modifications that allowed him to play left-handed with the strings in the proper order he still had to play right-handed when his father was around so jimmy also learned to play right-handed with the strings upside down god bless. wow god I just no pressure I, I just can't imagine what he what he could have done if what he did um he's been dead since 1970 what could he have accomplished my god it's mm -hmm. just hard to 
hard to imagine. This is Drake Digital. Um, smugglers and all kind of stuff, uh, uh, you know, bringing in dope and bringing in people and doing God knows what else. They can add to their list uh, a tale of smuggling sea turtles and a lot of money and a lot of packages of drugs. Uh, and it says uh, Space Force to its collection. A few weeks back, Angry, no, Angie uh, Chambers, who's a wildlife uh, dude, who was surveying sea turtle nests near Cape Canaveral, found something besides a turtle nest, a bale of something white wrapped in tape and plastic. And it was carried there by, by uh, the FedEx plane that just went overhead. Um, <laughs> And then she counted more than a dozen more of these things and thought, what in the world is this? This is not turtles. So she called the uh, Space Force, which I assume is the security in charge of uh, this cape. And they showed up and found 24 packages of cocaine, according to the county sheriff's office. It was the biggest bust they've ever had at Patrick Space Face Force or force base in the entire recorded history of keeping track of dope. That's not their term. That was mine. Uh, and that's probably true as uh, space force was only, uh, it, it came to be in 2019, December authorities speculate that the bales of cocaine were dumped off a smuggler's boat, which is pretty common when you see the coast guard, you're heading for your, you know, for your boat mm -hmm. dump, dump all the, you know, just just a dump the drugs. Uh, this the drugs are worth about a million two. God. So somebody is out some money, and it wasn't any turtles. Uh, so man, just say no, kids. Dope is bad. Dope is bad. Okay. All right, dumbasses. Who wants to go first? Who has ghosted? Okay, this is in Florida, but it's a guy from Texas. But you know, you can still be too stupid. Same thing. Being yeah. from Texas or Florida. He was on vacation in the Florida Panhandle this week, and he's facing a hate crime after he allegedly physically assaulted a family and used racist language, according to the Okaloosa County Sheriff. It started, Boy. his name's Wade, it started when he was in a park. That's always hit, a bad sign. And I know, walking his dogs, and some kids came up to pet his dog, and he didn't want them to. And he said, he said, he told the kids to leave his dogs alone, but they ignored him. That's when things escalated. The um, And he started, I guess, yelling. He uttered a racial slur. It says it doesn't, mm. it doesn't say what. And um, the kids just were being nice. They weren't, they just wanted to pet his dogs. The woman's husband told the sheriff's office that the guy was like 25 feet away from the family when the verbal argument began. But then he ran around the park railings and started punching the husband. The oh, woman's husband geez. also told, I know, psycho, also told deputies that, it, that uh, as the guy was running towards him, he pulled out a handgun to protect himself. The two men were then separated by witnesses without anyone sustaining any serious injuries. But, I mean, good Lord, dude. So anyway, he was taken into custody, being held on $10,000 bond. Uh, I guess he was released. This was last weekend. He was released Friday going to court. But, I mean, you know, if somebody doesn't, if you don't want somebody petting your dogs, walk away with your dogs. This just Hello. goes yeah. back to this thing about I mean, how people are on a hair trigger. <sighs> they are uptight and they are, they're anxious and they are, 
um, per, you know, they're they're just on edge, man. And the littlest thing sets them off. And mm-hmm. stuff like this just 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 is not really normal. But then again, anymore, what is normal? Wesley, your turn. Police detained 19 after being denied free burgers. This did not happen, though, in the U.S. This is from Lahore, Pakistan, where a group of police officers went to the takeaway place Johnny and Jugnu and said they wanted some burgers, and they wanted them for free. They were turned down and decided that uh, that was not going to do, so what they did was round up the entire staff and hold them for seven hours. 19 staff members from cooks to clerks, a lot of them university students on their part-time job, all of them arrested, and this left the kitchen empty, customers hungry and all complainy, and the fast food owner took to social media to say, this is not the first time something like this has happened, and with our kitchen teams at our restaurant, we want to make sure this is the last time. The story says Pakistan's police officers are infamous for corruption and demanding kickbacks from local businesses like hamburgers. And this time, following outcry among fans, nine police officers, police officers involved were actually suspended yesterday. And the provincial senior police officer said, uh, who, uh, said this, and he added, no one is allowed to take the law into their own hands. They weren't taking the law into their own hands. They were trying to take some burgers off the restaurant's <laughs> hands. But nonetheless, at least they got uh, were... Uh, taken uh, or were, were suspended and the Pakistani Prime Minister has uh, called for a reform of uh, Punjab's police force saying cronies had been appointed by politicians to control the police stations. Well isn't that a shock. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's one that is just I mean grisly that it doesn't uh, a former butcher in Mexico has admitted to killing the 34 year old uh, wife of a local police official but that, it turns out, is only the tip of the iceberg, based upon what authorities say they found in the basement of, the, of his home on the outskirts of Mexico City. The AP reports that uh, this past weekend, uh, the police investigators uh, thought that there may be more to this than meets the eye, and they were right. They retrieved almost 3,800 bone fragments believed to belong to 17 victims of this suspect, who is now 72 years old, known only as Andres. It was, uh, all these bone things were under the floors of his home. Ew. This sounds like, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, they also found ID cards of people who'd gone missing years ago. Cell phones, women's clothing and shoes and jewelry and cosmetics and videotapes that indicate there may be recordings of the victims. Uh, some of those recordings were on the the some you know old old uh, tapes, and uh, and the killings may have stretched back for years and years and years. Mm. Police believe also that there are even more than the seventeen victims they have found so far. Good God! Wow. Um, given the evidence and the and what we found here. The possibility of finding more remains is not being uh, ignored. So this goes on to say, uh, this just is not uncommon down there. And uh, this guy is in trouble. This is Drake Digital. Disturbing facts. uh, The Disney parks are all open again with long lines and expensive prices. 
So you better prep and uh, save your money up because they uh, it ain't cheap to go to see Mickey Mouse and his buddies and hang out. No. <clears throat> it's, it gets worse all the time. Disturbing facts Disney would never want you to know about their theme parks. Hmm. We should have to... Let's see what this has to say. Okay. The beating heart inside Epcot's Geosphere. This giant 150-foot organ pumps out the blood that nourishes the attractions throughout the park. I never knew that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Drugs. And if you've ever been to... Well, you can get as high as you want to in the parking lot before going in, and there's nothing they can do about it. Okay. <laughs> Your childhood is over, and you will never return to that state of joyful innocence. Underneath that, it says, spooky. As two little girls watch some weird ride. Forced perspective. I love this one. Disney... Uh, Imagineers use this trick to make buildings look way bigger than they are. But when you get up close, you'll notice that uh, Cinderella's castle is only five inches tall. (laughs) Disney's famous churros were uh, created by a Nazi engineer. Uh, The Disney version (laughs) of this uh, sugary pastry was developed by Fritz von Essen in accordance with missile designs he used for German fighter jets during World War II. (laughs) The draft. Every park patron who turns 18 will be required to serve in the Disney military, uh, serving their interests at both domestic parks and abroad. (laughs) So that's that's one thing that you never knew about that. That's about 40 years Uh, too early. Yeah. Uh, Ariel's Grotto. This hidden gem boasts the only potable water for miles. Wow. Uh, Everyone dies at Disneyland. Contrary to its happiest place on earth slogan, no park visitor has ever survived. Uh, Hundreds have escaped only to be hunted down and killed later. (laughs) By that army. That's great. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Contrary to its title, this ride is boring as F. That's great. All all Disney parks are closed on Hitler's birthday. While Walt Disney allegedly was very anti-Semitic, it's not ever been really proven. His decision to close all the parks on the 20th of April have always raised eyebrows. I checked that... uh, as a fact, and that that day is Hitler's birthday, but that is not true. The parks are not closed on Hitler's birthday. Um, abuse. Cast members have reported being hit, kicked, shoved, and even bitten by Disney execs that visit the parks. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, let's skip that one. That's not funny. Um, Daisy Duck is the only mascot without an actress inside. Instead, the suit is occupied by 20 gallons of mild vegetarian chili. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what that even means. I, um, uh, federal Marshals. An armed undercover marshal is present on every ride just in case anything goes wrong in the middle of it. Wow. Um, 
the Disney parks are free for sex offenders. Disney would hate if you knew, but anybody registered in the U.S. as a sex offender is allowed in free every single day of the year, whether they've served jail time or not. Well, that's a little bit spooky. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, Goofy. A creature known as Goofy can frequently be seen roaming the park despite having no known connection to the Disney brand. Creepy. <laughs> 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 uh, the walls of the Cinderella Castle will inexplicably start seeping blood, and no one knows why this happens. <laughs> the prohibitive cost. In order to save up enough money to visit Disney World, the average American uh, uh, a kid would have to incessantly beg their parents to take them there for six to eight months. And that probably is not too far from the truth. Joy can be found in any moment of your life. Put aside your phone and close your laptop. Look out at the green grass, the sunny sky. Breathe in the clean air. This is your life. This very instant is as rich and wild with mystery as any other moment. You don't need to be riding the Beaver Brothers Explorer Canoes to feel this way. You can have it now. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, and that one, th that's about it. I love the idea of the of the of those walls that bleed. That, that's, that's funny. That's, that's that that's hard at Epcot pumping too hard. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's some pretty funny stuff. But uh, uh, thank you, The Onion, for bringing some light moments into our lives. <laughs> that's enough. This is Drake Digital.